So it's good to be here. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. If you want to turn there, it's on page 1165 in the Pew Bibles. And so as you're turning there, um, when I first told my, my mom that I was preaching on Mother's Day, I don't want to embarrass her because she's in the room, but she asked if I was, if I was preaching on like how to be a mother. And, um, and, I, and I said to her, I said, no, Mom, I'm not preaching on how to be a mother. So for the glory of God and the benefit of everyone in the room, I'm not going to touch that at all. Um, but it's good to be here. Happy Mother's Day. Um, so have you wondered why you're in this room or how you got to be in this room? Maybe your mom made you come because it's Mother's Day. Maybe your wife made you come because it's Mother's Day. Maybe you've grown up in this church your whole life. Maybe you've been coming to this church for decades. Why are you here? I hope today this, this message will challenge your faith to think about how you see God. When, when you think of God, what comes into your mind? How do you see Jesus? I had a good quote by A.W. Tozer. He says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So why are you here? How do you see God? What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So we're going to be in Colossians 1, starting in verse 13. And it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, what a privilege it is to be in your presence, to hear from your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in this time, that you would soften our hearts, that you would cause us to change, that you would give us a greater sense of who Jesus is and, God, what you have done in your Son. Lord, I pray now that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart and all of our hearts here would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So there are two key themes that show up in this text. The first one, what God the Father has done. And the second one is who is Jesus Christ. And so this message is for everyone in the room. So I know it's Mother's Day. This message is for you mothers. It's for you fathers, for you sons, for you daughters, for Christians, non-Christians. Everyone in this room needs to hear this message of, what God the Father has done, and who Jesus Christ is. So let's look at the first verse, verse 13. What God the Father has done. 
It says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. What's God the Father done? He's rescued us by Jesus. He's brought us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So the dominion of darkness, what is that? What does that mean? Well, through sin, we are all in darkness. We've all sinned by word and deed. We're spiritually dead. I mean, growing up, many of you have probably heard of the Ten Commandments or at least seen the movie. The Ten Commandments, you know, are, are the, the key basic things of the Christian faith in some ways. You have, you know, don't commit adultery, don't covet, don't lie, don't steal. You know, essentially be a good boy. But what's behind those commandments? What's underneath that? So let's take one for example. Let's look at um, coveting. Why is coveting even there? I mean, that's not even that really big of a deal. I mean, it only has to deal with my heart. So let's, let's say, for example, um, you know, I'm coveting a car. Okay, what, what am I doing in that instant? What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. So my coveting of this car, of this thing I want, is essentially putting this car above God. That's sin. That's, that's how we're in this dominion of darkness. Our sin, where, ways that we don't add up to follow Christ's law and his commands, the sin is against his character. It's against God's nature. And so because of this, we are spiritually dead in our sins. We deserve judgment. We deserve hell. But what's happened? What's God the Father done? He's rescued us. He's brought us from the dominion of darkness and put us, transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. The way that I see this is almost like a divine pluck. He's, God is like plucking us out of dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his Son. In the Old Testament, God is described as having an arm. And the arm means like strength and salvation. So the way I see it is, is God's arm is coming down and grasping us, taking us from death and darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of his son, who he loves. This is what God the Father has done. And so let, let this hit your heart. We are sinners. We're, we deserve this judgment. Because, Christ, because God is holy and righteous and just. And he's, God is perfect. And we're not perfect. No one is righteous. No one does good. And even on my best day, I still fall so short of God's glory. And so what, what do we do? Where do we go? We go to this verse. We go to this passage to see what God the Father has done. And so this might be us today. We need to see our Savior. We need to see the need for a Savior, that we need Jesus. We can't earn our way to God by doing good things or by being a good person. No, that's not how this works. It's a divine pluck by nothing that you do, not by you trying hard, not by you believing, but by God's grace. He plucks you, takes you out of death, and gives you life through Jesus in him. That's the only way. And that's what we see in verse 14. In the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we owe everything to Jesus. This is why we're worshiping. This is why we're here. Because we know that we can't do this on our own. We can't live our lives 
on our own. We need a Savior. We need Christ. And to see what he's done, he's paid the price for our redemption. Our sin accrues a debt on our head. And Christ comes and pays that redemption price, freeing us from slavery to sin so that we could have eternal life with him. And so what Jesus has done in redemption, he's taken our sins on the cross, died our death in our place, and that's how we're forgiven. So we are forgiven by God's grace with a high, high cost, the cost of his son. I mean, it's Mother's Day. How many of you have a son? Would you give him up to die? This is what God the Father's done. He gave up his own son, his only son, his perfect son, to die and provide redemption for us. So when we look at the cross, we have the forgiveness of sins and redemption in Jesus. That includes every sin. It's forgiven at the foot of the cross. Immorality, drunkenness, lying, stealing, pride, and even our own self-righteousness is one of the worst of all. It's forgiven at the foot of the cross. And so I think it's, it's so important to understand this because sometimes we think that we're so great since God forgives us. We think, oh, God's forgiven me, so I'm, I'm great. That's why he does it. Well, I don't want to burst your bubble this morning, but you and I, we're not great. We need a Savior. You know, think about how dependent we are. We're such dependent creatures. We can't go more than like, like three or four minutes without air. We need to eat, you know, every couple hours. We, we need to sleep every night. But if you think about who God is, does God need any of that? No. He's, he's self-sustaining. He's self-existing. God doesn't need anything. And so when we read the Bible, do you read it in the way that makes you the main point of the Bible? Or do you read it in a way that makes God the main point of the Bible? So like when you read the Bible, do you, do you go there just to get something to make you feel good and feel better? Or do you go to read the Bible to, to know who God is and to follow him and to live in light of his glory and his greatness. And so what changes our hearts from thinking this? Well, it's knowing what God the Father has done. It's knowing that he has transferred us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. Sometimes it's like kicking and screaming he does it, but he does it because he's powerful enough to do it. And this is our great God. And so he transfers us and saves us from, from our own selfish pursuits I mean, so when I say selfish pursuits, this is what I mean. So when, when I first uh, started learning how to preach, um, they would always tell me, you know, don't use illustrations with sports because it loses a lot of your audience. Well, here we go. So, uh, so like, when, when I played football in college, I was living for my own self-glory and my own praise and not God's. And so what's that for you? Maybe it's, it's, you know, your job. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a relationship with a, a person or family member, spouse, whatever. What's keeping you from a deeper relationship with God? That's your own selfish pursuit. You have that so you feel better. Instead of you glorying in God, you glorying in what God the Father has done, that he's transferred you and given you this new life. He's rescued you 
from this. And so for, for me, I mean, pretty much like once a month, like when I teach at youth group, I teach against the video games. Because I know for, for guys in my, in, in my high school youth group, they're just consumed with video games. And I know it's, it's kind of like stupid to think, but some, some kids waste their lives on video games. And that's a selfish pursuit. And so, you know, I, I've said in passing, you know, one-on-one to people, but I'll say it now, I guess. You know, what are you going to choose, Call of Duty or God? And, you know, it's easy to point the figure and say, yeah, they shouldn't be playing video games as much as they are, but what's that thing for you? And so the next change that our heart needs, we need to know what God the Father's done. And now we need to know who Jesus is because they're connected. Because what God the Father has done is done through his son, Jesus Christ. So look at the next verse. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And we need to get this greater sense of who Jesus is because it's so easy in our culture today to lose track of who Jesus is. You know, our culture says, you know, he's a good man with moral teaching. They say he's someone that we should emulate. They say he's a prophet. But he's so much more than that. He's God. And, you know, even people in the church, you might have, have a misconception of who Jesus is. You know, you look at Jesus as your buddy. Or, you know, Jesus is my homeboy, those t-shirts like that. You know, he's our friend with, you know, long flowing hair, hanging out with sheep and kids. And, you know, that's, that's so true. Jesus is compassionate, and he has mercy, and he loves everyone. He cares for his sheep. He cares for children. But he's the God of the universe. I mean, look at this passage. He's the image of the invisible God. And so, in every nature and character of who God is, That's who Jesus is. So God's righteousness, God's goodness, God's glory are all revealed in Jesus Christ. That's why in John 14, 9, Jesus can say, whoever sees me sees the Father because he's God. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the exact imprint of God. It's almost like a stamp And so a good quote from Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century English preacher, he says, speaking of Jesus, he is no humanity deified. He is not Godhead humanized. He is God. He is man. He is all that God is and all that man is as God created him. And so what you see in the ministry of Jesus, you see the nature and character of God. You see his love. You see his compassion, see his mercy, but you also see his his righteousness and his judgment against the Pharisees. So you see the whole fullness of God in Jesus' ministry. And so he's the perfect image of God. And as you read the Gospels, you really see that Jesus is so assured of his own identity, that he's God. And so what does that mean for us? So we, we're also made in the image of God, but it's, it's different. Jesus is perfect. We are imperfect. We're so imperfect. I mean, have you ever thought about how flawed we are and how much sin there is in our hearts? You know, even in our thoughts. You know, maybe what you think about the most is what you worship. 
So what's, what's that thing that you think about the most? That might be your false god that you go to instead of Jesus. So who will save us from this? And so the answer is, is Jesus, of course. He's the perfect image of God. He's unstained. He's holy. He's righteous. He's pure. So this is how God the Father forgives us and gives this redemption. And this is how he transfers us into the kingdom of his Son. And so we must look to the perfect image of God in Jesus Christ. And that's where we have joy in our salvation. We see who Christ is, and he just overflows with greatness and with glory. And this is our Savior for those who believe. And so who is Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. The next thing we're going to see is that he is sovereign over all things. So let's look at verse 16. So Jesus is sovereign over all things. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And so by Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. In Hebrews 1.3, it says that he upholds the universe by his word. So Jesus spoke, and the universe came into, his, came, into his, came into existence. He speaks, and it happens. This is God. This is Jesus. And so all things, so all things, let's look at it. All things in heaven. So what's, what's in heaven? Stars, planets, galaxies. It's incredible. I mean, can you even imagine what one light year is? Like, it takes light one year to travel. I mean, how long does it take for you to flick on a light switch? And when it takes too long because the bulb's loose or whatever, don't you get mad because it takes too long? It takes light one year to travel. And Jesus is sovereign over all things in heaven. Isn't he so much greater than we think? He's so much bigger than we think? How many light years are in the universe? I mean, I don't know. I just know the Bible. But Jesus is sovereign over all of them. This is our God. And then things, so he's sovereign over things in heaven, and he's sovereign over things on earth, over everything in this earth. So over the sunsets, over the mountains, over all creation, all the created beings, over us as humans, over your dog, over your cat, but even us over as sovereign over us as humans. So think about the human body, how intricate and how intricately woven and designed it is. It was designed by Jesus. It was designed by him. I mean, think about your eye, how you're able to see right now is the rods and cones are reflecting and going back and forth. And I don't know what all, all it means. I don't even know, you know, how an eye looks or whatever. But this is what Jesus is sovereign over. And he's sovereign over even the finest detail of who we are. He's sovereign over our lives. And he's sovereign over everything else, over things visible and invisible. Like this morning, how many of you woke up and said, God, I thank you for gravity? Like, that was, that was a thought in Jesus' mind. He, he said, we need to... We need to have this force over the earth so people aren't flying all over the universe. 
I mean, praise God, right? Like, thank God for that. And even, even like, like taste. So many of you are going to go, go home and eat lunch or, or brunch or whatever you do. And you're going to have taste. You can taste food. Like, that was a thought in the mind of Jesus. Because he's sovereign over all things. And all things, look at this, the rest of this verse. All things were created by him and for him. And so he's sovereign over everything. And then all things are created by him and for him. So when you read the Gospels, when you read the Bible, do you have this view of God that all things are created for him? His praise, his worship, his beauty, and his glory. Everything was made for him. This whole universe is made for him. Remember, we're not the point of the Bible. God is. And so all things are created for Jesus. They're created for our enjoyment, for sure, for Christ's lordship that he's sovereign over, and God's glory that we would acknowledge that God's gifts to us are means that we just rejoice and praise him and glory in who he is. And so we've been created by God and for God. Doesn't that change maybe how you view your job, how you view your friends, how you view your family, and everything that you do? Maybe, for instance, when you're at work, you can remind yourself, I've been created for God, for his glory. So when I'm here, I'm meant to glory in God. When you're at home with your family celebrating Mother's Day, I hope, you're, you're with your family saying, I'm here to glory in God and glory in who Jesus is. And whatever you do, that's why we're here. This is what we've been created for. We're his creation. We're creation of God. We've been created for him and for his glory. And so we continue to see in verse 17 that Jesus is sovereign over all things. Look at verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so Christ is before all things because he's the creator of all things. And in him all things hold together because he's the sovereign one who's provided redemption for your sins, who knows you intimately and deeply, and he holds us together. He holds even us together. He holds our lives together. Did you know how intimate Christ is to you? He knows everything about you. He knows every detail about you. And he holds us together. So even if you're going through a hard situation, Christ is holding you together by his grace. He's showing you more of his glory. He's causing you to run to him and to cling to him above all things. And so he holds us together, and he does it through his word, his spirit, and his people. And they all encourage us when we're going through hard times. We need his word. We need his truth. We need his spirit to encourage us to follow him. And we need other people to encourage us as well, to keep persevering and to follow Christ. And so why, why can we run, run to Christ? The answer continues. He's reconciled us, and he's redeemed us. And that's what verse 18 shows. Let's see it. Verse 18, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And so Christ is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over this church, over everyone in this room, 
and over everything I'm saying. He's sovereign over his church and his people. Those are his sheep. If we're part of the church of Christ, we're his sheep. He loves us. He's died for us. He's head of this church. He's the senior pastor that we need. We need Christ. And he's Lord over everything. He's even Lord over the living and the dead. And he's preeminent in all things. Look at the rest of 18. It says, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The supremacy in all things. When you think of Jesus, do you think of the word supremacy? He's supreme above all things. Above everything that we could imagine. He's prominent. He's preeminent in everything. And this is, this is the key to Christian life. That Christ has the supremacy. That Christ is central to your life. I mean, how many of you think that Christianity is like a list? And you have, you have God is first, then family, then your job, then your friends, and then maybe some other hobbies and just go down the list. It's not really like that. The Christian life is Jesus is your core. He's your center. He's what's central to your life. And then everything else flows out of that. So it's almost like a baseball. If you've ever broken a baseball, doing a sport analogy again, so I apologize. But if you've ever seen a baseball, it has a rubber core, and then around it, it has the thread that's just wrapped around it. That's what the Christian life is like, where you have Christ as what's central, what's your core, and then everything else is just wrapped and intertwined around it. So that changes how we live because Christ supersedes every other commitment that we have in our life. And so why is he central? Why is he supreme in our lives? And so I hope if if you've been paying attention, you've probably gotten this, but Jesus is God. So look at verse 19, because we'll see it even more clear. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And so if there's ever any question, if you ever come across people that say, oh, Jesus isn't God, point them to Colossians 1.19. The fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus. And it just solidifies the answer. Because, the, because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The fullness of God dwells in him. And so the word in the original language for fullness is, is like... Literally, that, that God is, is crammed into Jesus. It's almost like you, you take this cup and um, you know, it's copiously filled to overflowing. So if you think of Jesus, it's overflowing with Godness. That's how you should view the deity of Christ. That it just flows out of him. It just is outpouring. And literally, all the attributes of God are crammed into Jesus. Because he's God in the flesh. And so everything is reconciled to Jesus because he's God. He's the creator of the universe. He's our glorious king. He's the sovereign one, the holy one, the perfect one that we need. And so I think it's so easy, it's very easy for us to let this be common to us. And we get stuck, just be honest, we get stuck in our day-to-day lives and in the mundane stuff that we do. And we miss the beauty of God's glory and his grace. We miss it. And so what, what can we do to remind ourselves of this grace? What can we do? Well, here are a couple of suggestions. We have, 
the first one is preach the gospel to yourself every day. And so what does that look like? What does preaching the gospel to yourself look like? Maybe it's memorizing Bible verses. Maybe it's having Bible verses around your house or, you know, giving yourself a reminder on your phone with a Bible verse that says to read it. Um, Maybe it's, you know, just going throughout your day, living a life that's focusing on Jesus and you preach the gospel to yourself because I know there are things that come on in my life like every day and I just need to preach the gospel to myself that in Christ I'm complete, in Christ I'm pure, in Christ I'm perfect, in Christ I have life and everything that I need. So preach the gospel to yourself. A good book that that I've read, it's a short little book, it's called Note to Self by Joe Thorne, if you want to look that up. It's got very short chapters, and it's on this whole premise of preaching the gospel to yourself so that you're reminded of God's glory and God's greatness. The next thing would be, in order to preach the gospel, you have to know the gospel. So know the gospel. So know that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's taken on your sins. He satisfied the wrath of God so that you would live. Maybe what this looks like is getting a deeper knowledge of the gospel, which causes you to glory even more. That's the whole purpose of theology. The whole purpose of theology is meant so that you worship God, which is the next point. Worship God. Because you know what worship does? Worship takes us off of focusing on ourself and brings it back up to God. That's why we worship. This whole passage, you know, verses 15 through 20, are written as a Christian hymn. And they would sing it, like in the first church. So worship, because it takes us out of ourself and it brings us into God, into the beauty and reveling and glory of God. And the next one is faith. We, we must have faith to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what he's done. And then we need the Holy Spirit. We need God's Spirit indwelling in us, causing us to yearn for Christ and to follow him above all things. And so we do this. We need these things because we are so flawed. But in Christ, we follow him and we have life. And so let's look at verse 20. So who is Jesus? He's the image of the invisible God. He's sovereign over all things. And he's the ultimate peacemaker. Let's look at verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so through Christ, all things are reconciled. So what does reconciliation mean? I mean, I think I've said that enough. Reconciliation means to win a person over or to settle a dispute or a quarrel. And so apply that to us. Reconciliation. What's our quarrel or dispute? It's, it's our sin against God's holiness and God's righteousness. That's the quarrel that we have. That's the dispute. And so what God the Father has done, he's looked at this dispute and looked at this, um, looked at this thing that's happened and he said, Jesus, go save the people. Go provide reconciliation for the people. They need a Savior. And this is how he makes peace. This is why Jesus is the peacemaker. Because he's come and taken on our, our punishment. He's made peace so that we could be reconciled to God. So that we would have 
a right relationship with God. And so what do we do? We live in the already but not yet. We're already saved but not yet perfected. And so we live here in this tension of dealing with with sin on a daily basis. And what do we do when we sin? We place ourselves above God and above his throne because the reversal has already taken place. Jesus reversed himself, humbled himself, became obedient to death so that we would then have a relationship with God. And now what what do we do in response? We, We try to usurp his throne. Tim Keller writes, sin is not just breaking the rules. It is putting yourself in the place of God as Savior, Lord, and Judge. And so we strive against God. I mean, how futile is that? I mean, Jesus is the creator of the universe, and we're trying to take his throne? I mean, this is ridiculous. And so what do we need to be reminded of? We need to be reminded of what God the Father has done who Jesus is. And so in this one verse, we see these two themes meet. So let's read verse 20 again. Here's the answer. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so reconciliation takes place through the blood of Jesus Christ, God's own son. And so this is how God the Father saves us. This is how God the Father transfers us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his Son. It's through Jesus that that happens. And so this happens through the death of the Son who is the image of the invisible God, the one who's sovereign over all things, and the one who's preeminent and has supremacy over our lives. And this is Jesus. And so here here we are, In Hingham, Massachusetts, we're sitting here with these weighty truths of God, of our sin, of death, of Christ. And what do we do with it? You know, true preaching of the gospel, it always affects your heart. It always changes the heart. Either it gives life to the heart or it hardens the heart. The Puritans had a motto in the 17th century. They said, The same sun that hardens the clay melts the ice. And my fear this morning is that many of us can be inoculated to this gospel, inoculated to Jesus being God, and that your sins are forgiven. Don't let your heart be hardened. I had the privilege recently of going to a Celtics game, and um, you know, if you've been to a Celtics game, you see the starting lineup, and it's really exciting. And you're so excited to be there. You're excited to see this game. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, sports or whatever, but it's exciting to be there. How much more exciting do you think it's going to be when you see Jesus face to face? I mean, you can be at a rock concert or a a piano recital or, I don't know, wherever, sports game, sporting event. How much greater is it going to be when you see Christ, your Savior, face to face? And he's going to say, I love you, my son, my daughter. So the gospel, it invites our belief by demanding it. It calls us to believe. The one commandment of God is that we believe in the son. It's the eternal gospel. 
We're eternal creatures. We're made for eternity. We long for something real. We long for something that's going to satisfy. And only what's eternal can fill the gap of eternity. And that's Jesus Christ. He's the eternal God. From this passage, that's what we see. That only Jesus can fill our hearts. He's the reason that we live. He's the reason that we breathe. We live to glory in Jesus Christ and bring praise to his name. And so how we see God is such an essential question for us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so we've somehow allowed ourselves to think that God is much lesser than he is. So I hope this morning is, has caused us to, to have a greater sense of who Jesus is. He's God of the universe. We need Christ. You can't clean yourself up. Come to him today. There's no good deed that you could do to earn your way to God. You don't need to clean yourself up. Just come where you are now. Come to him. We need Christ. He's the image of the invisible God. The fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. And what has he done? He's provided redemption for your sins. He's satisfied the wrath of God's hatred towards your own sin so that you could live and have life through his son, Jesus. And he's risen from death, which enables a new spiritual life. Like originally we were in the dominion of darkness, now we're in the kingdom of his son. We're also alive in the kingdom of his son. This is what he's done. We need Christ. And only what's eternal can fill the gap of eternity. And only that is Jesus Christ, because he's the eternal God. So I pray that you would come to him today. He's our savior Let's worship him now. Let's pray. Lord God, what do we have to say? This passage is so big, I feel like I haven't even communicated its worth and its weight. Lord, I pray that you would instill this passage on all of our hearts, that you would cause us to glory in Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of the dead, sovereign over all things, that he has supremacy above everything. Lord, I pray that you would help us know, God, what you have done and have a greater sense of who Jesus is. It's in his name we pray. Amen.